Jose. Welcome back to the uh, Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am I'm really happy to have Miriam Maima on board today. Miriam's coming from, uh, she's from Connecticut, but she's hanging out in Florida this week. And uh, she's got an awesome background. She's an executive coach. She is the founder of the uh, the 2 Million Leaders Project. And she's been helping world-class leaders around the country um, develop their skills and you know, re- refine their leadership skills and help get you know, help their teams get better. So thanks, That's Miriam, it. for coming on board. Heck yeah. Thanks for having me. Happy what, to be here. What's happening down in Florida? Well, because of what I do, it doesn't actually matter where ge- geographically I am. What's happening is that leaders are, I mean, uh, Silicon Valley Bank is affecting a lot of my startup clients. Um, <laughs> what's going on? That's a big one. That's a big, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, what's going on is I'm doing what I feel like I was born to do uh, with people who care about getting it right. And so even when the problems are really hard, I feel very fulfilled. Um, so it's it's been a, it's a good day so far. <laughs> so talk about a little bit about the 2 Million Leaders Project. Yeah, I started this many years ago after talking with people that I really respect about having, they had had impact with a variety of different demographics, uh, a million people. I helped a million kids in Africa. I helped a million single moms in the U.S. And I thought, oh my gosh, look look at these people going and doing amazing things. And after getting over a little moment of self-criticism of like, what am I doing with my life that I'm just thinking about my paycheck, you know, and here are these people changing the world. And I asked myself, well, who are my people? If I were to focus on helping a million people, who would I be who would I be thinking about? Should I quit my job and move to Africa? I thought, no, that's not my, those aren't my people. My people are in first world countries. They're senior leaders. And those are the people I relate to the most. They're the ones that I'm best suited to support. And I believe that if I work with them, they can then figure out if they should go to Africa or help single, whatever, whoever, or whatever, you know, they, I'm going to better equip um, others. And I thought, well, why, why aim for a million? Let's do two. Plus my name's Miriam Mima. So the branding is better. Um, but I do very intently focus on figuring out who are the different leaders across the planet that I can best support and being more authentic and more effective. So, so between COVID, Silicon Valley bank, Uh inflation. Yeah. Work from home, work from anywhere. Leaders are there. The, they're getting hit from all sides. Getting hit from all sides. Yeah. What what are your, uh, what are you, what are your friends telling you out there? What's, what's going on in their world? And, What's stressing them out besides everything? What's uh, how are they adapting? I think that there's a cross rate, you know, a really cross section of how people are adapting. As some people are thriving. They're like, "This is great. I don't ever want to go back to an office. This is so much better for me. I'm so I'm so much better at balancing my time and prioritizing things that set me up for success." Those are, let's just say that those are the rare few though. And then there's people, most of the people that I interact with are really struggling to make sure that everybody's rowing in the same direction. How do we make sure that we're capitalizing on asynchronous communication to make sure that we're actually accelerating as a business or as a team during this new, in this new environment? 
but that takes a lot. So I work with a lot of companies and a lot of leaders thinking about the future of work. And so how not just to adapt to current conditions, but to how, how to think ahead to what, where we headed and how can I stay ahead and make sure that I'm equipping myself and my team to, so that we can have a good time. Yeah. Look, I mean, look at my, a lot of my, you know, you talk about the future of work and a lot of my clients are all struggling from the, the work from home and the, you know, work from anywhere. And here's the reality check. It's here to stay. Yes. You know, deal with it. Yeah. You, know, you may yes. not like it. You may not know how to deal with it, but you know, that's what big boys and girls do is they learn to adapt themselves and, yeah. and it's not, it's not coming back. No. And Orienting towards this as a temporary reality is helping no one. Uh, let's do, it's like a delusion um, that that yep. this is temporary. Yeah, and so most people need to figure it out. Yeah, we need we need to figure it out. So a lot of your clients, you talked about you know, Silicon Valley Bank. I saw your background, yeah. and you're out there working in the startup world. Um, so very very impressive clients, by the way. Um, a few of my friends have started companies out there and they're very mm -hmm. successful, mm -hmm. but they became accidental leaders. You know, they had Ooh. great ideas. They raised money. Yeah. You know, now they've got companies and they're CEOs and they're overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. um, talk about, you know, talk about the person who's become the accidental leader. All of a sudden yeah. now they've, they've risen to the place they always want to be. Yeah. And they're here. Or never realized they could be right, and here they are. Uh, and they're uh, overwhelmed. Congr yeah. congr congratulations, and I'm sorry all at the same time, right? It's uh, yeah. you know, talk about CEOs who are you know, yeah. or first time leaders who are who are trying to trying to to make it. Yeah, I work with a lot of first time CEOs, a lot of first time founders, CEOs, a lot of people in the biggest role of their career or their lives. And the main thing that I feel like I need to help those folks with is trusting themselves. Trusting that what got them in this role is enough to be successful. They're, most people are in their heads because we doubt ourselves. We second guess ourselves. We think about things too long or in ineffective ways. But the truth is, if we just quiet it all down, underneath there was the person who had the idea that got us here and the skills that they needed in order to be effective. And so, yeah, we are all learning all the time. All the time. I learn. I learn every day. We can all be learning. But we need to quiet those voices in our heads and start to feel confident, not overly confident, but confident enough to say what it is that I know and what is it that I don't know and who do I need to bring in? What data do I need to bring in to make the right decisions on the right timeline? And just to get a bit calculated about it and start moving through our days with that, that level of assurance that we're on the right track. We will figure it out. And that also, by the way, our lives won't end even if a decision goes awry. That's usually something an accidental leader forgets. It feels like there's the, the stakes feel higher to those accidental leaders than it does to others. A little paralysis by analysis and yeah. too much input from the peanut gallery versus following their instincts. Yes, exactly. Well, do said. you find that their instincts are usually pretty good? Yeah, I do think on? so. Yeah. Or they don't want to be in the role and they think they're supposed to. And that's the other thing. It's like, there's no supposed to. Is Do you want to choose this role? You don't have to, but you're here now. Like, do you want it? Own it, claim it, make it your own. How are you going to do it? So stop hesitating. One of the things I find from 
new CEOs or founder CEOs is they know they need help. And then they bring in the help and then they squish them in the, in the corner. Oh, and yeah, they, by the time they've come to me, they've been through three or four COOs. And I talked to yeah. one of the old COOs and they're like, yeah, they never let me do anything. Yeah. They wouldn't give up. Oh. Talk about the evolution about that. I mean, that it, is rough, I know you right? see that a lot. A lot. Yeah. It's hard to let go of control because it feels like this is my business and my neck's on the line, my reputation. And so to let go and trust someone to do it better than I can is a lot to ask of a human, because how am I supposed to offer checks and balances? If you're operating in a way that is different than how I would operate, and if you're maybe you're bringing more skill or experience to the table and you're doing it in a way that works, but I don't understand it, then I can't help. I can't engage effectively with you. And so that's where we get into this swooping in and taking control or never giving up the control to begin with. So figuring out for every leader, their trust and verify methods, how much do you need to understand? What information loops do you need to have in place? So you have enough visibility and how can you have another person that knows enough about the COO's world using your example that you feel like you can have checks and balances because it doesn't have to come from you but you do need to be able to regulate is this lead is that are the people on my executive team operating well are they making smart decisions I don't need to necessarily understand them but I need to know their smart decisions and so therefore how can I do both at the same time not feel like I know but also offer effective management of the, these experienced folks that I'm bringing in. So asking for input, you're asking for input, you're trusting the input, you're trusting your own, your, your own judgment. But yeah. some specifics like every week, Hey, jot down for me. What are your priorities? I want to know in the beginning of the week, what are your priorities? What are you working through in the end of the week? How did you work through them? So, or, but for other people, they don't care how you work through them. They just want to know the results and how do you know that they're the right ones, right? But everybody, they need different information. So, you know, you're talking to a lot of leaders. You've seen some great ones. You've seen mm -hmm. some okay ones. What makes, you know, in today's world, you know, right now and today with a lot of dust in the air, what may, what's making, who are the great leaders? What are they bringing to the table? What, what traits are they, you know, uh, what traits are they, 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 you know, are showing up? And how are they managing effectively? Yeah, mostly they are increasingly self-aware. So what I mean by that is they know what they need to do in order to show up and be present and engage with the person on the Zoom screen or across the table. Because most often we're, we're not actually picking up the cues that are, are given to us by our team. And we need to be increasingly attuned to what those those signals are so that we can lead effectively, but we can't do that unless we're first self-aware. So I think about uh, managing my energy and managing my time effectively. And so knowing when am I at my best and when am I at my worst and what are the things that I need to do day in, day out to more often show up as the best version of me. And how do I over time get better and better uh, at showing up and being present and engaged. And so for some people that's, Hey, they need to work out every morning. Uh, great work out every morning. And you know, if you don't work out the person that meets with you right after you miss that workout, they're going to know right. they're going to feel it. And that impact will actually ripple through their day, their week, and you're going to lose productivity unintentionally. So show up, 
and as as the leader that you want to be known for. But there's a lot of different leadership styles out there. Like, yeah, I've I've worked, you know, I've worked really well with some authoritarian leaders. Oh, sure. you, know, you come in, at least you know what look, you know what the expectation is. You don't necessarily like them as people, but at least you know what the expectation is. I can deal with that. And I've worked with some other people that are that are really good. Um, you know, hey, you know, here's the mission, you go figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, bring me the results type leaders. Is there a style that's working or is it the is the leader setting the pace and it's up to everybody else to adapt? I'm I'm more in the camp of the former. I, I believe every leader needs to figure out what's my authentic leadership style. I'm going to make that clear. I'm going to make sure people on my team are comfortable with that. They're not going to push against it or wish I was some someone else or operating more kumbaya or whatever it might be. But I am who I am. So if I'm authoritarian, great. I still need to be present enough to know if the other person is understanding what I'm trying to say. Do they have clarifying questions? Do they, are they actually going to have helpful pushback on me? Right. And so engaging in two-way conversation is necessary to make sure that everybody's basically they're they're on board. They understand they're clipped in and they can leave this conversation and go execute. But the pushback is the big thing. You got to leave the door open for some pushback. Yeah, I think that's where you and I come in most of the time because most people, they aren't getting it from their teams, right? They aren't getting the healthy, necessary pushback of whatever whatever might be needed that day. But I think the best leaders invite that from their team and they create a connection, a relationship with those folks. So they know that if you want to push back because it's going to lead to a better result, push back. If you're going to push back because you don't like how I'm leading, there's the door. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the authentic leader, it, it could be anything, but you know, yeah, what, anything. what's it take to make, I mean, obviously, you know, what's it take to become, what does it take to become an authentic leader? I mean, everybody's got, you know, you, you think about the authenticity and look, the, chi- the, the, you know, the tiger can't change his stripes. So you're going to be what you're going to be. You know, yeah. how do you become that authentic leader and get the right people to follow you? I think one way is to a simple exercise is to think about either there's two ways to do it. One is if I were to ask people to describe me as a leader, what are the words that I would hope they would be using? So that's one way to think about the kind of leader that I want to be. Another way to do it is think who are five leaders that I really respect? No wrong answer. They can be like fictional characters, political figures. They can be people from the military. They can be colleagues, family members, who are five leaders that you really respect and admire because of their effectiveness. And what are the qualities you recognize in them? And then figure out which of those qualities that you're exuding already. And then which maybe pick one that you have not yet started to exude and figure out how you can bring that forward more and more often. Um, so that's the way that you would answer that's different than the way that I would answer that and the way that everybody listening to this would answer it. So that's usually my easiest way in to understanding what does this person care about? And almost always that's a direct line to what they're naturally good at. So is, it's a, yeah. is that an adaptive? Is that something that adapts over time? Or is it, I mean, is it, you know, does, does the authentic leader kind of come out immediately? And then grow, or is it the leadership style adapts over time? I think it's us getting out of our own way more and more often. So it evolves over time, it adapts over time, but mostly because we're unlearning the things that we thought we were supposed to be doing. 
in order to be more true to how we want to be operating. So it does change. So, so does Steve Jobs ever change? I mean, he was a pretty tough leader, but, it, but, but everybody understood what he was looking for too. Exactly. So I'm, he was true to himself. And mm -hmm. so there were, a, I do think that we could look at his career and see different ebbs and flows in terms of what he was focusing on, but there was a very strong through line of he, he cared about quality. He cared about innovation and he wasn't shy about that. And I think that's an example of an authentic leader. But I think like Tim Cook now too, totally, totally different leadership style. Totally different. More externally sudden, facing, right? A little more diverse. Well, yeah. And I see where Apple's gone under Tim Cook and you go, all right, who's the, you know, was it time for Steve Jobs? You know, look, was it, you know, was it time for Tim Cook to take over Apple? And I yes. think that's, you know, kind of a, a unique, it's, it's interesting how you, know, you see companies adapt with leadership either rise or decline. Exactly. So that's getting to the question of just knowing, is, is this my role for right now? Am I the best leader for the company and what the company needs right now? Which is, a, that requires a huge amount of humility to honestly answer that question. And if the answer is no, then what's your succession plan? If the answer is yes, then stop second guessing yourself and get to it. <laughs> You talk about the second guessing. Is that the biggest? Is that the, yeah? Is that the biggest issue you see when you're talking uh, to CEOs? I think if most people don't recognize it as that, I think. But yes, I think that that's exactly right. I think the second guessing of people on the team, second guessing of the decisions that were made, the rolling over things more than once in in a way that's not efficient. I think that's maybe what I'm labeling second guessing. And I think a lot of leaders fall prey to that. I do it all the time. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about, I got three decisions I need to make and I can't figure it out. So I just, you know, no decision. I, I have to keep telling myself, no decision is a decision in, in itself. Yeah. Right. And does that it. help? Uh, no. Yeah, I, I guess it does because, you know, look, you're sitting in your, you're sitting in your safe zone. Yeah. Like no decision, you know, means, I, I, I'm ready, willing, and able to deal with the situation I'm in now. Yeah. But if I make a decision, you know, you're moving forward. You're and and at least you're changing direction. You're moving forward with something. Yeah. And I think that's you know, look, you know, I can see myself in that same, yeah, you know, sort of that same canoe. Exactly right. And think about how much energy and time we waste just get, getting ahead or getting feeling behind or looking to the past or all of that. And so I would, I think what you're talking about is very common. If there's three decisions I need to make, I was like, okay, well, what information are you going to need in order to be able to make those? Do you have that information already? If not, that's your next step. Your next step is not making a decision. Your next step is gathering the information. Usually there's some small action we can be taking, sending an email, setting up a meeting with a colleague, whatever needs to happen to help move it forward or make it, make a decision about when I will be ready. I'm, I can't think about it until tomorrow at 9 a.m., but I know tomorrow at 9 a.m. I will have the data I need on hand mm -hmm. and I will, I will, I will be in a position where I can do it. And so that's really boop, place it on the calendar and then come back and be here. Better, easier said than done. Easier said than done. But, 
you know, I think about like my small business, you know, my small business, but then you think about, you know, these founders or these new general managers or, you know, and, and they're, they're trying to, you know, perfection is the enemy of good enough, right? They all want to be perfect. They don't want to make a mistake. The fact of the matter is you learn from your, you know, you sort of learn from your mistakes, you know, make a few of them. Not so bad that they're catastrophic, but make a few mistakes and then you figure mm. start to figure it out, right? Yeah. You know, what's the best great. way to, yeah, look, we, I guess it comes down to what's uh, managing your, yeah, a little bit of managing yourself. A lot of managing Talk yourself. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think our baseline. So this is something that in, um, I see it in high growth companies. I think we all experienced it during COVID was the sense of there was maybe there's more to do in a day than you can get done. And you're not feeling that great to begin with. And so the quality of our thinking, I think went down. People were just isolated. They were home. They were in front of the screen all day. And so literally the quality of our thinking and our quality of our decision-making took a nosedive. So figuring out how in this current reality, do I need to take care of myself. I really do think it starts there because I need to, when it comes time to make the decision, I need to be able to trust my own thinking. And in order to do that, I need to, like I mentioned, exercise water. Like these seems, seem simple and unnecessary, but they're most necessary right now. So there's that level of managing myself. And then there's the, the tactical, like time management prioritization, write down what is the top, what is the, if you're only going to do one thing today, what's the most important thing for you to do for your business? And sometimes that's, you need to have a feedback conversation with someone on your team. Sometimes it's, you need to clear your day to think about strategy. Sometimes you need to get on a plane and go and sit down face-to-face with someone. Sometimes you need to send an email to the whole company and let them know that what they're doing matters and that we're making progress, but think about it before your day starts, before you open your email, Slack text, think about what's the most important thing you're going to do and then do it. Feedback conversations. Yeah. For leaders. Yeah. Those are the tough ones to have. It can be. Yes. I think usually when someone tells me, and this happens all the time, I have to have a feedback conversation and there's like a reluctance even built into the way that someone will say it. I most feedback conversations or when someone says I have feedback, really what you have is the beginning of a conversation you need to have with someone. You have an an observation or an experience. Hopefully it's a pattern and you're not going to go have a feedback conversation about something someone did once, but you're noticing a pattern. Something's happened three or more times and you need to, shine a light on it. You need to make sure they're aware of it and that they're going to change their behavior, right? That's usually what we think of more corrective feedback or constructive feedback. So to me, that's really, you need to go to the person and very honestly share what you're seeing in an unarguable way. What's, what are your observations and say, what's going on? And that, so it's really the beginning of a conversation. Very rarely can you go in to say, you're doing this, you need to stop. (laughs) <laughs> because you're lack you now as the as the manager you're lacking so much context about what's going on for this person and maybe they did it intentionally maybe they didn't but if you walk out of the conversation as a manager without learning something about what was going on on the other side you are not equipped to manage them meaning you don't have the information you need to be able to effectively lead them 
So I'm, I want to make sure every feedback conversation you're sharing and then you're asking. I think you know, with the ad, yeah, advent of social media and the Simon Sinek uh, videos and yeah. empathy and everything like that, everybody thinks there's peace and love. It needs to be peace and love. I'm sort of the one who says, hey, look, no, there's difficult conversations need to happen too. Yeah. And sure. the person on the other end of the difficult conversation isn't going to feel a lot of peace and love or yeah, empathy. But there's 50 other people in the business who yeah. will who will find peace of love and empathy out of that conversation. Do you find that people are confusing that a little bit? I think most of the time people are are avoiding creating clarity for the sake of being kind. And that does nobody anybody's any favors. Um, and usually they wait too long. And so when they go to have the feedback conversation, it's built up so much that now you have a level of frustration and resentment that isn't helpful either. So if you're having these difficult conversations every day, yeah, they might be hard, but they're right-sized. No surprises. I mean, I'm sort of like, hey, there should be no surprises. When you do the review, somebody's review, they yeah. should know. I, I mean, I honestly think reviews are probably irrelevant because at the end of the year, somebody already knows whether they've been doing greater they're getting their bonus right. or not. Yeah, no, exactly. How do you teach that to organizations? How do you teach that to organizations though? I I build in accountability conversations throughout every day and every week. So the people who work closely with me, they mm -hmm. know if something falls through the cracks, great, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it today. What happened? What did you need from me that you didn't get? What did you need to be doing that you didn't do? What happened? And so we always talk about it. It's, it's honestly no big deal but they know that they're constantly going to be gaining this sense of uh, feedback loop. So talk about like you're, you're, yeah, you're coaching a lot of executives. Mm -hmm. um, talk about, you talk about that a little bit. Talk about who your clients are, you know, you know from a macro standpoint, talk about, you know, the, the clients you're talking about and the trouble, you know, the struggles you're seeing and how they're adapting to this you know, look, it's it's never easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But talk about your you know, kind of how you're helping you know, folks become that authentic leader and you know take the yeah. you know take everything to the next level. Yeah. Um, okay, so I work a lot with tech companies. I work a lot in biotech, um, health tech. I mean, there's there's a. I work also in CPG, uh, in healthcare and in large pharma. I'll, I'll aviation. I also have some clients in aviation. So I, I have a very interesting point of view on kind of what's happening on a macro level. I would say that um, I'm hearing you reference COVID. And for me, COVID feels so long ago, mm -hmm. um, but it's still here, right? The remnants of, I think COVID's become code for how do we succeed in this new world? I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. And so I think the um, what I'm noticing is that the companies who are not trying to carbon copy the way that they operated before, and they're more willing to reinvent really like building blocks from the ground up of how do we work successfully now, they're, they've accelerated and they're, they're having impressive performance. The companies who are literally doing the same thing as before. They have way too many meetings on the calendar. They're focused way too much on who's doing what and not enough on the results and measuring the results. Uh, so they're getting lost in the process and in the weeds. 
And so on a macro level, I think what, what's important is for us to reorient towards a North star, not just this quarter's results, but literally what are we aiming for? What's a more midterm, long-term objective that we can rally behind that can inform the hundreds of decisions that will be made by every human at this company today. We need to know what we're aiming for, what my, our priorities are, what's my role in that. So it's kind of going back to basics and then figuring out, let's figure out together, how do we communicate and how do we collaborate? And let's just kind of throw out the old rule book out the window and mm -hmm. figure out what works for us now. It doesn't have to be complex. I think that's the other thing is the companies who've embraced simplicity are are thriving. Those who ha are trying to <laughs> are overthinking it, yeah. then they're still thinking about it. it. It's amazing how you can always come back to keep it simple. You know, yeah, just keep, keep it simple. simple. And the results. I mean, it's you know, nobody cares yeah. about what you did. It's what the, they care about how what you, you accomplished. Here. Right. And that that seems that message just seems I, I don't know about you, but I feel like that message gets lost. I don't care what you did. I don't care you flew to California three or four times. What did what did you, you know, yeah. or you flew to Singapore? Did you come back with a did you come back with an order? Exactly. Yes. And if not, why not? Right. And that's the accountability conversation. Like, what'd you learn? It always scares me when I hear someone say, I'm a relationship person. I'm like, what do you mean you're a relationship person? Well, I got man, my my clients love me. I'm like, okay, are they buying stuff from you? Yeah. Well, no, but they love me. Well, there, there we have we have a problem. Yeah, I mean that goes into the psychology of sales, which I work with a lot of people on, um, and making sure that those relationships and people feel like they can translate those relationships into sale. Yeah, but it's the same with a lot of leaders too. It's your teams may yeah. love you, but if they're not getting anything done, there's then, there's a problem. It's right. It's, so that's where there's, I do believe there's two axes. So there's authenticity, which we've been talking about, and then there's effectiveness and you can't lean into one at the risk of losing the other because it's not sustainable, but we need to be able to do both. And effectiveness is really about knowing how to drive results. Yeah. I think that's maybe, maybe a little bit of where I've been struggling. Yeah. I, I, I hear the authentic leader a lot. And when I think yeah. the authentic leader yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but I always think I always get kind of come back to that touchy feely. Everybody, you know, kumbaya, everybody's got to get along. Oh, and I'm like, no. yeah, I'm not so sure about that. You know, no, it's... that's not to me. Authentic means true to yourself. So there's people who are too much that, and so mm -hmm. I work with them to stop asking and start telling. And they've needed to literally fire some people on their team who want who thought they were signing up for a collaboration, and it's like, mm -hmm. no, I'm no, my authentic style is is very directive authoritarian. And I'm if denying that just doing nobody any favors is creating hell, honestly, for mm -hmm. most people on an executive team. So just be true to yourself. But if it's not delivering results, that's where it's like, can, can we figure out how can you take your authentic style? So even if that's declarative, and what do you need to do in, also, in order to also get results? Maybe you need to invite participation and decision making. So can you do both? Yes question so that's where it gets a bit more nuanced i, I was talking to a good friend of mine on another podcast uh mike manazer everybody just calls him nasty uh, he and i flew together in the navy 30 years ago we were talking about you know he's got a great point good leadership needs good followership mm -hmm. i think that's where i stumbled in life i was never a good follower oh interesting so you think about good leaders 
herding cats. You got, mm-hmm. yeah, you got 98 team members who are rowing in the same direction. You got two are out of here, including me, who are, you know, off in La La Land wanting to do our own thing. Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, do you just, what's the best way to, what's the best deal way to deal with the, the people that just can't follow? Do you fire them? Do you, you may be very talented. Do you, do you manage them differently? Every, every leader out there has had to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the question is, what is the business need from them in their role? So th- this is where sometimes, so salespeople sometimes get away with behaving very differently than um, people we'd see in other functions um, because their personality is different. They're a little bit more rogue, but they're delivering the results. And so I, I personally don't think you can grow a company very quickly with a wide range of ways of operating. So that's where I get particularly interested in these outliers to say, is it is it okay? It's kind of like in check and the, the, their role isolates them essentially from this larger group or are they pulling the culture? And they're, they're, therefore, the I think of the aggregate personality of the team, if they're getting confused, how do we operate here? That's not doing anyone any good. And it actually has an outsized negative impact. And yes, it's much better to exit them. Court, give them all the tools and information and resources to make either opt in or opt out. And, mm-hmm. but yes, you can't, you can't really have them, them linger. But ultimately, yeah, the, the, the prima donna, I guess it comes down to either you figure out whether they're, they're valued to the organization or yes. it's time to, or it's time to move on no matter how talented they are. Do you see that a lot? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what else would you like to know? <laughs> I do see that. Do the leaders have a hard time making that decision? Yes. I mean, I see, I see some leaders oh, for months agonizing over decisions around, especially senior leaders or people who are performing, but in a way that sends a bad message months, sometimes years. And to me, it drives me crazy because I'm, I can't make the decision for them, but I know what's on the other side of it. And without exception, without exception, I rarely say this, but without exception, people say, I wish I did it sooner when it comes to those decisions, those people decisions, the difficult person, their, their, their pain in my side. I hear about them from other people make the call. Just do yourself and everybody else a favor and make the call and move on. Yeah, that's the common refrain I always hear is what took you so long? What yeah. took you so long? Well, and everybody it's time else, to yeah. do right by people, do right by the business, one or both of those things. And it feels like sometimes those are at odds with one another, but the truth is they aren't they aren't as much as it's it might seem in the moment. Just make the call. At what point do who at what point do CEOs and leaders call you in and they say, hey, look, I'm struggling. Yeah, obviously they're struggling with something or they're thinking about getting better. Maybe they've reached their pinnacle and they're just stuck. At what at what point do they they call you and say, hey, I really need the coach? Um, I mean, frankly, everybody, yeah, everybody, every leader should have a coach. I'm you know, firm believer, but but at what point do they usually have the epiphany? Hey, Miriam, um, we need to talk. There's usually there's a, a leveling up. They feel like they want to do. They feel like there's something in there's more in them, but they're not. It's not translating. They're not seeing it translate into how they're operating, and so they feel like Ugh, I could do better. I just don't know what better looks like, or the company needs me to level up, and I don't know how. 
So those are usually the two common moments that people reach out to me. I also work with a lot of co-founder conflicts or executive teams who are just saying, you know, we're okay. We're okay. We're, you know, it's not, it's not bad, but it's not great. And so that's a huge opportunity cost, having an executive team that's not high functioning. So I usually come in, we do an offsite, help you all kind of reset and figure out how do we need to be relating to each other to accelerate our business. What's the process? I mean, when you start to, you know, when you, when you start to work with a CEO, you know, where do you start? Uh, It's a combination, depends a little bit on the CEO, because there's, uh, I, I want to know what the CEO thinks is their area of opportunity. Why are they coming? Why now? What's going on with the business? I want to onboard as, as close to the onboarding and another executive would do as much as possible because I want to have business context and I want to understand from other people's points of view, how is this person operating? Because what I notice is it's too easy to operate in a vacuum and just to co-sign whatever this other person's perspective is. And that's not so helpful. What's more helpful is for me to be able to help push that person in the direction that they want to go in. I do say, I'm not going to impose any expectations on you. I'm here to help you get what you want. I'm here to help you accomplish what you want, but it might be in unexpected ways. So um, I usually jump, I, I do a huge intake and this is part of why I think I'm doing what I was born to do because I'll ask someone 30 questions and I'll read the answers and it's very clear to me which two areas we need to start in. It just kind of jumps out to me in neon lights. And usually that's the entry point that we focus on that leads to everything else. And um, so every time I'm showing up with someone, I, I have a preference of what we focus on, but it's not my time. It's their time. So if they have business decisions that they, they need help navigating, they need a sounding board, we start there. But if they don't have anything on their mind, I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's they talk about it. <laughs> they don't have anything on them. How do you start? I'm like, well, everything's great. You know, the board told me to be here. Uh, yeah. that, that's got to that, be a difficult conversation to have. Oh yeah. If, if they're not willing, then I actually don't take, take the, say yes. I don't take them on as a client. But, but, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, it's, it's the, the two things I think companies don't do enough of is sales coaching. Um, yeah. you know, Hey, we're throwing them in the role and executive coaching. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about the young, I mean, it's so inexpensive for the value you create. You talk about general managers, First PL responsibility, mm-hmm. first leadership role, coming out of the military yeah. and moving into the civilian world or vice. Yeah, it, yeah that's, yeah, that's, uh, it's yeah, that, that's a, it's a hard, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Too many people are like, I think I can, I can do it, or companies don't want to invest in that. It's such a missed opportunity. If you look at the cost of your full-time employees and everything that you're paying in terms of benefits and salary and compensation, and you think about what's the level of investment that it would require to get the most out of this investment, it's not much. It's But there is training, there's resources, there's, there's, there's a few things that if they were just to put them in place, they would recognize a huge ROI. Well, I think it's a lot of it's, you know, what, what are we expecting this person to accomplish mm-hmm. and are we giving them the tools to do it? Yeah. I mean, it, that's, you know, the deep end is awful. De- the, the deep end can be awful deep when you're just thrown into it. 
Oh man, that's right. And so there's some companies that I work with that, that they just know they have a sink or swim culture and they're not shy about it. We're going to throw you in the deep end. Hey, if it works, great. If you feel like you're drowning, figure it out. We're not going to help. But most companies don't want to have that. They actually want to put in a bit more structure so that there's greater continuity. People can grow within the organization. Therefore, you're retaining all of that institutional knowledge. People, there's so much can be gained. I'm not sure the deep end culture works anymore because everything is such a building block. And if you're starting fresh every 18 months, you're not building a whole lot. It's hard. No, that's right. That's right. And you probably know the statistics more than I do. I believe that most companies don't see a positive ROI on any recruitment efforts until year three. Probably. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It depends. Like, I mean, you know, I always tell really them, hey, the- you know, really, I just tell people, look, it takes, you know, six months for the person to figure out the company culture. Yeah. You know, the person that they bring in, you know, any new leader, or any new person comes in and they're just, they're, you know, they're, they're sort of their foundation is there. They don't know, you know, what's inbounds, what's out of bounds. Um, the onboarding process is so important. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I think that's where a lot of the failures, you know, start. If, if, yes. if a newer, if a new person is not effective, it's usually not the person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's usually they're trying to start on a foundation of error. Right. And they weren't, you know, it's almost, it's, it's unfair both, you know, it's, it's like, Hey, look, it's unfair. Um, yeah. You know, what, what happened here? Right. Yeah. So if we think about all the time and energy that goes into scoping the role, running a good process, interviewing, hiring, onboarding, getting them embedded in the culture that takes, that's such an upfront, it's front-loaded, really. Uh, investment in humans is front-loaded. So we want to make sure that we're hiring really with a lot of thought, which is, I think, where you come in. And there's also making sure that we think about how how to make sure that we're looking for a tenure of at least three years. Well, I think sure that that's, we want somebody who's going to hit the ground running. Yeah. And, and that's not necessarily, yeah, look, it's a great, it's a great theory. It's not, necessary reality, but there was a really good article in the Wall Street Journal last weekend. I don't know if you, you saw it or not. And it was talking about, you know, career transitions. They tend to, you know, they tend to be gradual. You're probably already thinking about your future career now. Oh, yeah. It's not, it's not black and white. It's not here today, something different tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But I think that comes with anything in business. It's not, we're going to make a shift, new mm-hmm. strategy. Mm-hmm. Let's all yeah, let's all head to the left side of the boat, right? That's, yeah. that's kind of a hard, yeah, that's yeah. A hard. Right. And so thinking about for, for leaders, thinking about the early signals and acting on them, both for themselves and for others, for the business, no, noticing that the trajectory is clear, but how early are we tuning into what it is? And so I encourage people to ask People on their team, like, what are you thinking? How long are you thinking? Like, what do you want in your career? And having this open conversations about it, because if they already know, and there's ways that you can slightly adapt their role to retain them twice as long, as long as they're performing the way that you want to, that's a good choice. 
but similarly to what we were talking about earlier of the early signals, if it's very consistent that someone just is not going to fall in line, then we know how, where this is headed. It's just a question of how long you're going to let it last. I love it. So what's uh, what's happening with the 2 million leaders project? So what where do you take that next? I, I think about that a lot. I, I obviously like I took this big inhale, this big exhale. I'm like, how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> I have a lot of ideas around who best to partner with and who, what I'm thinking about is how to gamify leadership development for kids. How do we take the essence of what it takes to be a good leader? And we t- give that to people earlier in their life, earlier in their careers, but we make it all addictive, like Candy Crush. Like how do we make leadership development as addictive as Candy Crush? I don't know yet, but those are the kinds of things I think about. That's a great, yeah, look, I, I think that's a great start. Yeah, just teaching yeah. yeah, teaching kids how to be, yeah, teaching kids how to be leaders and yeah, yeah, how to how to grow. I mean, how to just come out of the corner and adapt and and uh how to make decisions, be a, how to advocate for your what you believe in, how to think through the different steps it's going to take to get there, how to listen, uh, how to gather new information, how to have a question and get it answered, right? Those are all kind of foundational leadership skills. I love it. So how do folks get a hold of you? Oh, they can go to LinkedIn, Miriam Maima, Miriam Maima on LinkedIn, or they can go to leaderswhosmile.com. I believe that the most seasoned leaders kind of smile, like the biggest challenge you throw their way and they're just kind of, they kind of lean back and they smile and they know that they'll make it through because they have a thousand times before. And I'm on a mission to help every leader, however new they are in their role to feel like that seasoned leader who can kind of weather whatever comes their way. you got some great interviews. I was, I was, you got some great interviews out there too. So, uh, uh, I'll encourage everybody to go uh, find them. We'll put your website up on the uh, on the show notes too. So thank you. Thanks for coming on today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Good to meet you. Thanks you for too. all you do. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube, just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pickett.